Good morning, Bill Shapiro. Welcome on VH Berries. Good morning, Victor. It is so great to be with you today. Today is Friday, and this morning you introduce a rising photographer, Donato Di Camillo. I did. Um, every Friday, more or less, on my Instagram feed, I write a little story about um, a photographer that most people haven't heard of, somebody that's a little bit under the radar. And I interview the photographer, and I show some of their photos, and I talk about how they work and how they approach photography and um, some of their influences and what and what moves them. And... Um, Donato is this really, really interesting guy, really interesting photographer. He learned how to take pictures um, when he was in prison and afterwards on home confinement. And now he shoots great street photography on the streets of Brooklyn, mostly, other places too. Um, and, you know, whereas a lot of street photographers try to be sneaky and sort of sly about taking pictures uh, or jump out with a big flash and kind of shock somebody and and um, try to get a, a, a weird reaction shot from them. Donato does something different. Not only does he focus on people who most of us walk by and try to ignore, people who are sort of on the fringes of society, but he goes up to them and he talks to them. And he engages with them, and he earns their trust. And once he does that, he gets his camera very close to their face and makes a portrait. And if you go to his page or you go to my page, you'll see that he just gets amazing results. He's a really wonderful photographer. And to have this special connection with the subject, this is not something that is always uh, easy and I really like the quote that you wrote uh, he have to feel a connection with the person otherwise it's better to eat a sandwich yes um, <laughs> I think Donato really likes sandwiches but that said I think he'd rather be taking pictures of people and the connection that he feels to them is really important, and that's why he does what he does. Um, so many photographers, like I said, just see somebody interesting and kind of quote-unquote steal a photograph. But the way Donato works, he is very engaged in the process with his subject, um, so it is more than just having a sandwich. Of course, and what I understood is, is that you really enjoy photographs and artists that grab, as you mentioned, the moment that are really active. Well, that's right. I mean, one of the things that moves me in my life is to share the beauty of photography and the power of photography and the skill of photography and the intimacy of photography with people who might like pictures, but maybe don't understand some of the finer points. So I don't, I don't really talk about technical things, you know, cameras or flashes or lights or, or focal lengths. I really talk about the spirit of the person taking the picture. Um, 
that's that's sort of what what I love, and I love sharing that with um, you know regular everyday people because you know what Victor like today everybody has a really good camera in their pocket which is much different than it was um, 10 years ago 15 years ago and you know since the beginning of photographic history so today everybody's a photographer or everybody has a camera but it doesn't actually mean they're a thinking thoughtful photographer and I think a lot of people would like to learn a little bit more about what's possible with their camera. Bill Shapiro, as you mentioned, you shared this uh, passion for the present moment for years because you were uh, the former editor-in-chief of Life magazine, founding editor of Life.com. That's true. Victor Hong. I was both the editor-in-chief <laughs> of Life Magazine and uh, Life.com. I started with Life Magazine in about 2003-2004. I'm pretty bad with dates. And at that time, you know, Life had been America's great magazine. Um, in the 40s and 50s, it was, in the 60s, America's most popular magazine. Everybody read it. This was sort of before uh, television news, um, you know, could really capture images from far away. And so Life Magazine was the world's eyes. And Life Magazine took people to the moon and, and you know, to faraway castles and faraway oceans and to see people everywhere. And so when I got to be the editor of Life, um, you know, late in its own life, it was really a true, uh, a true honor for me. Life magazine was the eyes of the world. And I am very curious about the origin of this very significant chapter of your life. Well, there's a lot of ways to answer that question, my friend. Um, we can talk about how I got involved in photography or how I got involved in magazines. Um, probably the more interesting one is the photography. Um, you know, I was a, I started taking pictures when I was a kid, when I was in, in junior high school. And I loved being in the dark room, uh, getting away from teachers and, and, and parents and just having that time, um, to myself to create something. I wasn't necessarily very good. I was just, starting off, but one of the things I would do with my camera is I would go, and this was maybe the early 80s, this was, you know, 1982, 81, 82, I would go to um, uh, Grateful Dead concerts and um, near where I grew up, and I would take photographs of the, of the show, and then I would go back to the dark room and quickly develop them, or uh, and then take them the next day or the next time the band was in town, take them to the show and try to sell the photographs before the show in the, in the parking lot to anybody who wanted them. And I, you know, I, I, there were eight by 10 photographs and I would get, you know, I'd ask about 10 bucks a piece for them. And, you know, for a kid of 14, 15 years old, that was, that was a lot of money and people liked the photographs and I liked the attention and it was great. It was all great, in fact, until one time at a concert, 
uh, I showed my uh, people were looking around, looking at the pictures, and this gigantic man walked up to me, you know, leather vest and, you know, denim and big hairy mustache and, you know, long hair. And he was um, um, in sort of a motorcycle gang, you know, like the Hells Angels. And he was huge, and I was this skinny little kid. And he came up to me and he said, nice pictures. And I was like, thanks. And he said, how much? And I told him. And then he said, great, I'll take them all. And I was like, oh my God, fantastic. I'm going to make, you know, $100. And instead, he took the box and he walked away. And I was like, hey, hey man, hey man, you got my pictures. And he turned around and he looked, he looked at me like with daggers in his eyes. And he said, you want to get hurt? And, um, I did not want to get hurt. So I let him take my pictures and I, and I walked away. And, you know, honestly, Victor, at that point, is when I sort of gave up on photography for some years, for some 30 years. Um, I just, I don't know what happened exactly, but something hurt me and I just didn't, my love for it was gone. I still looked at pictures, but I didn't want to make them anymore. So when I got a chance to work at life and to really dive into those amazing photos and to talk to some of the greatest photographers of all time. Folks like John Dominus, a photographer who shot for life, a staff photographer, and, you know, hung out with Steve McQueen for three weeks, shooting pictures of him skinny dipping and firing guns and racing motorcycles. Photographers like Gordon Parks, who was the first African-American uh, photographer on staff at life. Uh, and for years and years, for decades, the only African-American photographer at life. Ralph Morris, who, who was considered, you know, almost an astronaut because he spent so much time with the astronauts um, shooting Apollo 11. So that was really uh, a great way to get back into photography. And Bill Shapiro, I believe that this traumatic event, if I can use this word, was maybe uh, the cause of years after the creation of the book What We Kept, because these uh, stolen objects were very uh, important to your heart. Well, that's true. Um, so about three years ago, um, my writing partner and my girlfriend and I, um, we started writing this book called What We Keep. And the concept of the book was that we would go around the country uh, and talk to people, all sorts of people, about the single object in their life that held the most emotional significance. So we talked to people like Mark Cuban, um, you know, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and Shark Tank, and he's on Shark Tank. We talked to great writers like Cheryl Strayed and, and Tim O'Brien, um, and, uh, all sorts of people, you know, Oscar winners and musicians, you know, famous people. Um, but we also talked to regular people, you know, uh, an old man who, um, at 85 years old was, was a barber. Um, you know, um, just uh, an incredible range of people. And 
I think there was a few things that led to the creation of that book. You know, one of them, honestly, was seeing all those photographs of the Syrian refugees pouring out of their country into Turkey, living there, leaving their homes in which they had lived for, you know, their families had maybe been there for a couple hundred years, and they could only bring you know, a single bag with them. And I, you know, I saw these pictures of them carrying their bags over their back. And I, I wondered what was in that bag? Um, what did they bring with them? Some clothes, some food, but maybe they brought one object that held a lot of meaning. And so that's, that's really the genesis of, of what we keep. But I also think you're very astute to point out that the things that we lose in our life like I lost those photos, remind us of the things that we still have and the things we keep and why they're important and the stories they tell. Ordinary objects, extraordinary stories. Yeah, exactly. You know, some of the objects were extremely ordinary. For example, there was one, uh, we spoke to a guy Um, whose object was a $1.99 bottle opener. Just a regular thing that you'd crack open a beer and, and, and maybe you'd buy it at, um, you know, at a, at a, at the corner store. But the story he told about this, I just love. Um, it was given to him by his grandmother and he had a very close relationship with his grandmother and his grandmother lived in San Francisco in the 60s and 70s. And his grandmother was an accountant. And she had, you know, her hair pulled back and uh, tight and uh, was a conservative dresser and uh, was a very good businesswoman. But it turns out she was something else. She had this other life that he didn't really know about. She was the number one marijuana importer in California and perhaps the country. And she ran this business on the side. And... The bottle opener for him represented something special because he knew that she was helping sick people feel better and she was helping well people feel even better. <laughs> um, and so he went on to work in a, uh, a cardiac unit uh, helping people. And he, and after that, he went on to help, uh, to found a nonprofit to help kids Uh, experience the outdoors with mountain bikes and hiking and whatnot. And this bottle opener, which he uses all the time, symbolizes everything that his grandmother stood for, which is to go against the grain and to help people. And I thought that was very moving. And that's, that's the kind of stories that these very ordinary objects tell and that the book is full of. And concerning some of the stories that the book pulled up, There is Melinda Gates talking about one object, the Apple II, that was a gift from her father when she was 16, for example. Well, that's exactly right. You know, um, Melinda Gates received this computer or actually sort of stole the family computer and took it up to her room and taught herself how to code you know, taught herself how to code and play games, you know, as a teenage girl. And her father supported that. He didn't say, give me back the computer, or you can only play on the computer for an hour. He fully supported it. And 
Melinda Gates has has taken this Apple computer with her on her journey, on her on her career, because it reminded her of that faith that her father had in her. And so even though Apple and Microsoft, which Bill Gates, her her ex-husband, uh, ran um, and founded for years, this Apple computer meant everything to her. And so we talked to her, and that was that was exciting. Bill Shapiro, what would be your personal object? Well, Victor Hong, um, the object that there's so many, honestly, there's and there uh, it changes throughout the course of my life. Um, but the one that I talk about in the book is a sign. It's a it's a handwritten sign, you know, on a piece of paper like this. And on it is written in German, Ergenwo, which means anywhere. And I used that sign with my friend Fred back in 1986 or so when we were hitchhiking in Germany. And we didn't really care where we were going. We didn't have to be anywhere on time. We didn't have to meet anybody. Um, we had no responsibilities other than just travel and see and learn and talk and be curious. And so this sign that in German, a language I do not speak, that said anywhere really symbolizes a sort of spirit or path that I definitely want to get back to at some point in my life and just be and go and learn and, you know, not have to worry about insurance payments and, and uh, uh, mortgage payments and that kind of stuff. And to come back to your experiences at Life Magazine, the promise that you kept uh, during your years in these uh, uh, newspapers is simple. It was to feature the most iconic photographs of all time. So the magazine tried to capture the spirit of the country um, in the years in which it was coming out in the in the early 2000s and there were some great photographs and you know amazing stories but really i would have to say that life.com which was the website that i ran after life magazine closed was the project that really focused on the greatest most iconic photographs of all time because For that project, we got to go back into the storied, incredible life archives and sort of pick and choose the photos um, to put on the site and to tell stories with. And so there were something like 13 million photographs in the archive um, taken by photographers, um, you know, like Alfred Eisenstadt, who took that famous photo, uh, Life magazine photo of the sailor kissing the nurse on, uh, on, on VJ Day in the 40s in Times Square. Um, you know, so that was really incredibly exciting. And, and we found photographs that no one had ever seen before because they were taken uh, for stories that were um, killed by the editor-in-chief. Um, So that was thrilling. Like, let me, let me give you an example. 
Um, we found photographs that were taken the day that Martin Luther King, uh, the day after Martin Luther King was assassinated. Life magazine uh, had a photographer down in the area, and when they heard that Dr. King was uh, had been shot, they called this photographer, a young guy named Henry Grozinski, and told him to, to get to the Lorraine Motel in, in, in Memphis, Tennessee. And he shows up there, and there's you know no police and no other press are there, and he just takes these incredibly moving photographs of Dr. King's associates in mourning, hugging each other. Um, he takes photographs of Dr. King's suitcase, the beautifully pressed shirt, and a Bible, and a can of shaving cream. He takes pictures of the motel owner's son, um, sorry, the motel owner's brother, right outside the, the motel room door where Dr. King fell, sweeping the blood into a jar. And those photographs never ran because the editor-in-chief of Life magazine at the time decided that they were so incendiary, that they are so inflammatory, that they would cause America to burst into flames with, with riots and protests. And so those photographs just sat untouched and unseen in the archive for about 60 years uh, until we brought them back and, and published them and interviewed the photographer and told the story behind those unseen photographs. And there were, there's a few stories like that where we just found, you know, incredible photographs of, of Marilyn Monroe, of Hells Angels, you know, of Kennedy, you name it. In definitive, Bill Shapiro, um, in life, we need time. I don't understand if that is a question or what you want me to say to that. I was referring to the fact that, for example, concerning the picture of Martin Luther King, it took several years yes. um, to accept the fact that they will be um, public uh, on the magazine. Well, that's exactly right. And that's what's so interesting about photographs is that they can capture a moment in time, but that moment can appear to be a very different thing and to have a very different impact and to convey different insights and emotions years later. So, you know, for example, I, the photograph I just mentioned, um, which you probably have seen, the sailor kissing the nurse um, in Times Square. It's, it is one of the most iconic photographs of all time. And when most people think of it, they sort of assume it was on the cover of Life magazine um, right after uh, right after it, it happened. Well, no. Uh, on the cover of Life magazine that week was um, um, a swimmer or a diver. And that picture was somewhere buried in the middle of the magazine. And only later did people come to realize that it was a shot that stood for something um, so important. You know, another example of that is the famous shot of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston in 1965 or so in Lewiston, Maine, where he's going like this and looking over uh, the fallen Sonny Liston 
you know, flat on his back. And um, that picture was taken by the great photographer Neil Leifer. At the time, nobody thought too much about that photograph. It actually ran in Sports Illustrated, um, but um, it didn't run on the cover. And only years later, when Muhammad Ali became himself an iconic figure um, and a hallowed figure in American history, did that picture with Ali's power and certainty and bravado standing over his vanquished opponent, did that picture take on iconic value? And that's one thing I love is that photographs capture and freeze a moment in time, but that moment, the significance of that moment can change for different people uh, and over the years, as you suggested. So based on this fact, this also means that there are thousands of pictures that were taken, for example, today that will only be released in a few decades, for example. Well, the answer to that is absolutely. There are, you know, <laughs> today, like I said, everybody has, everybody's walking around with a camera and we all take pictures that sometimes we think they're significant, sometimes we think they're not. Sometimes, um, like in the case of George Floyd, and this was a video and not a, not a photograph, somebody happened to be there with a camera and took a video of George Floyd uh, being murdered, you know, and immediately that footage had a huge impact and caused or sparked um, riots and protests and, and sort of a revolution and an awakening around the country. But there are so many other photographs that sit in our phones or sit in an archive um, unseen until maybe something else happens years later and they take on a larger significance. It also means that because of you, Bill Shapiro, maybe that some photographer will hide their uh, unique photograph to give them more value by waiting. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, I would never suggest that a photographer holds on to a photograph and, and doesn't show it. Um, I think it's important to, to get the work out there and get it seen. But that's just me. Another project that you've made in 2014 that I'm very curious about is a children book uh, in collaboration with Rolling Stones guitarist Kate Richards. That was so fun to do. Um, it really was. So the story behind that is um, I was walking um, in New York City with my oldest friend, Barnaby Harris. Um, I've known him since I was two years old. And we had both just happened to... Um, uh, have read Keith Richards' biography, uh, which is interestingly called Life, and it's fantastic. And, um, you know, we just thought it would be a great idea to do um, a children's book about how Keith learned to play guitar from his grandfather, Gus, and that talked about their relationship. And so we got in touch, and they loved the idea, and we worked on it together, and Keith Richards is such an artist. 
you know, his choice of words and um, his story sense is just uh, truly magnificent. And it was a, a real pleasure to work with him um, on that book. Oh, and also, I should say one more thing. Keith, 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 Keith Richards' daughter, um, Theodora, illustrated the book. And she traveled to London, um, where, where Keith grew up and where the story is set. And she spent time and, you know, sketched, you know, his old neighborhood and the old house and, you know, took all sorts of notes and did research and then came back and made these beautiful illustrations that, um, uh, that illustrate the book, which is called Gus and Me. The very uh, particular characteristic of this book, as you mentioned, is that this is a book for children uh, telling the story of a young Richard um, who is learning to play a guitar from his grandfather called Theodore Augustus Dupre. That's right. Theodore Augustus Dupre. He was a band leader um, back in the day, and he could play any instrument. And he was, you know, like Keith Richards, a bit of a wild man. He stepped out a little bit on his wife, and, you know, he was a smoker and a drinker and uh, a late-night carouser. But he had a real tender place in his heart for young Keith. And... Keith showed an early interest in one of Gus's guitars, and um, uh, and Gus showed him how to play um, uh, uh, one particular song, and the rest is history. Keith Richards became Keith Richards. I deeply believe, Bill Shapiro, that, for example, through your initiative on your Instagram page to... Um, Put the spotlight on new photographers or uh, when you are as we mentioned just before doing a children book you want to give a sort of flame to the new generations i think that is something i haven't really thought about like that about the connection there but i think you're right i think one of the things i'm interested in doing is taking look i i feel really honored and, and blessed to have been able to work at Life Magazine and Life.com, to have met those photographers, to have studied their work for so long, um, to have looked at all those pictures and heard all those stories that I really do want to share um, some of the lessons I've been fortunate enough to learn with photographers, young photographers, and also people who just want to know more about photography uh, in a very approachable way, not not in an artsy-fartsy way, not in a super technical way, but just as a straight talk, here's what makes this picture so exciting way. And I think passing on that knowledge um, is, Victor, really important to me. And, and thanks for pointing that out. And what would be all these messages that you want to deliver, or if you have some pieces of advices? Well, I think people need to listen to the thing that's inside them, the voice that's, with, that's inside them. And that's the voice that I did not listen to 
when I, when I, when I personally gave up photography and I wish I had. And so when I think about everything I've learned from the great photographers, they struggle. Um, they struggle on assignments. They struggle financially. But the thing they really want to do is make pictures. And, and so that's what they do. And so that voice is super important. And it doesn't mean you have to only be a photographer. You could be an insurance salesman by day and take all the pictures you want at night. But I would say stay with it. Listen to yourself. Keep shooting. I would say for photographers or people who are interested in, in photographs, look at photo books. Um, study those books. Study those pages. Look at those pictures that make you, that take your breath away like that and think about what's giving you that reaction. Really work those muscles in your eye and your brain to say, okay, there's a picture that made me feel something. What in that picture was it? Was it the fact that the child in the picture was looking at me? Was it the dark shadows on the corner? Was it the sun going down on the side? You know, try to figure out what are the actual elements of the photograph that you think are successful or likewise that are not successful. And then go out there and try to imitate some of those aspects or reinterpret them in your own style. But you can learn a lot, a whole lot from looking at great photography books. Um, and there are a lot out there. And from time to time, I, I write about them uh, in magazines and I write about them on my, um, on my Instagram page as well. Photography is a muscle. Thank you very much, Bill Shapiro. See you in New York City. I would love that, Victor. I'm in Brooklyn. Come find me. Let's go out and take some pictures together. <laughs>